So, um, we're going to be jumping into the book of Joshua again. Thank you so much for being here last week for Brother Derek when he brought the message, uh, talking to us about the, uh, the importance of prayer. Um, the necessity of prayer. It was awesome um, seeing him and understanding what's going on around the world. Um, he had his 62nd birthday on Wednesday, just so you know. I'm not supposed to say, they say that online. I'm sorry. He's a young man. I have no idea how old he is. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but we do praise the Lord for that. But we're going to jump back into our, our Joshua study. And we've been working through the book of Joshua now. Um, I'm not sure how long it's been, but we're 117 messages in today. Um, but the message two weeks ago was, was called Quick to Speak. And we were talking about the tribe of Naphtali. Um, Naphtali, interestingly enough, we found out through the prophecies that were given through Jacob and through Moses, sort of some insight into Naphtali's character and kind of who it was that they were. And what Jacob revealed to us was the fact that they had this tendency to be quick to speak, um, as opposed to what the Bible says, which is to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. So it's actually um, an issue that we need to learn ourselves. And we discuss the fact that many times um, we're all quick to speak. How many of us are quick to speak when we get in a conversation, something's going on, man, you know, we don't even think, we're just like, bam, 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 we're just ready to roll, man. Um, but the Bible tells us that that's not what we're supposed to do. And what, there's a danger in being quick to speak because what it does, it shuts off our brains, right? When you're talking, you already know what you're going to say. Right? You know what you know. It's hard to learn new things if your mouth is moving. So what we found was we talked about the dangers of not having ears to hear. And we discussed the fact that not only is it important for us to be able to hear God, but it's also important to be able to hear other people. Because what happens a lot of times is we don't have ears to hear. And can I just say this? It's the number one need of all of humanity to be understood. If you've ever spent time around small children and you're sitting there and you're having a conversation and they want to tell you something and they're walking up and they're like, um, hey, 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 and they just keep going. And as long as you're ignoring them, they just, hey, 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 and you're like, hey, hey, and you're like, what? And they go, um, I'm hungry. And you're like, okay, got it. And then they're, then they're done. They'll walk off. Because guess what? They want to be understood. And can you know from children it carries on into our adult life all the way as long as we're on this planet, we're always going to have this deep need for people to understand us. And you can't understand or, 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 or know who someone is or what they're going through unless you have ears to hear. It is a very important lesson to learn. If you can learn how to do anything in life, man, learn how to be a good listener. It will change every relationship in your life. But we touched on the dangers of not being able to hear. And this is where we discuss the aspect of what happens many times when people are in that vein of not having ears to hear. They're more concerned, as we talked about, about speaking. They're more, in, more involved in what it is that what, how things impact them. Because what you find is when people shut their ears off, it's because they're selfish. They're in that moment worried about themselves and not worried about, not worried about others. And so what we find is the fact that in this state of mind, we're very prepared. You can see people that have this mindset that don't have a willingness to hear. We can see it, first of all, through their materialistic desire of their heart. They're seeking things in the world. We'll see it also through their own willingness to hear, but also their speed to speak. People are very ready to share their wisdom and their knowledge with you as opposed to hearing perhaps things that they need to hear. And then we looked at the prophecy from Moses. And what Moses did was Moses gave us another perspective. And it was in regard to the, to the abundance that Naphtali had received. They had been given a tremendous amount. And what we saw was the wealth that they had received. It made them satisfied. It made them feel fulfilled. And what we saw was the fact that because of the, um, the, 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 the drunkenness they received through their material wealth, they stopped listening to God. But not only did they stop listening to God, but they also literally disobeyed and broke the vow that they had made to God, which is they said, we will serve you and you alone. 
But what we saw was their selfishness brought them to a place where they stopped hearing from God. And what they actually did was they found a way to profit themselves even more. They'd been given an amazing land, and what they did was that God said, don't make any kind of concessions, don't make any kind of pacts with the people, drive them out, do not make any kind of agreement. And you know what they did was they said, you know what, instead of driving them out, we're going to make them our slaves. And they conceded to and found a way to profit from something that God told them that they were to remove from their life. And it would be through their unwillingness to hear and also just ultimately their own disobedience that their destruction would come. They vanish from history. They become one of the ten tribes that literally just kind of disappears. They're called the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. And that was their story. It was because of that selfishness and that unwillingness to hear. Now what we're going to talk about this week is we're going to pick up on the last tribe to receive their their inheritance. And this is the tribe of Dan. The tribe of Dan, what we're going to learn today is opposed to having to dig like with the other ones, if you've ever done Bible study before, sometimes you're going to look for every little nook and cranny. You're looking for every little tiny glimpse of information because you're trying to gather a, a picture of these people. Um, with all those other tribes, man, there's a lot of digging involved. But with the tribe of Dan, there is a plethora of information, a ton. And we find a lot of it in the book of Judges, and it really walks us through their story. But we also see them listed for us in 1 Kings and in 1 Samuel, lots of different areas. But as we read and we, we go through the biblical record of what took place with the tribe of Dan, what we'll see is they are uniquely gifted people by God. Uniquely gifted, but we also see that they're going to fall prey, not only to their, to their desires, but they're going to fall prey to their fears. Okay? They'll have an inability to, again, follow God because of the fact that they are being disobedient out of a, out of a response to their flesh. And it will be because of their fleshly desires and because of their unwillingness to do what God calls them to do. It will bring a destruction in their life, in their, in their tribal name, that will be long-lasting even into the future beyond where we are today. Dan's story is going to ripple into eternity. And this, this morning's message is titled, The Pathway to Idolatry, Part 1. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to just share your word. Uh, Lord, you know that I have prayed, I have studied, and uh, Lord, I know you have spoken to me. I'm confident of that truth, and Lord, I'm asking you now that you would speak through me, Father, that I would share what you would have uh, me to share. Uh, Lord, would you remove the human element from this message? God, I do not want to be heard or seen, uh, Lord, but I do want you to be heard and seen. So Lord, help me uh, just to be a preacher of your word, Lord, that you would lead and guide and direct in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to read Joshua chapter 19, verses 40 through 48. This is going to give us the parameters of the property that they're going to receive as their inheritance. We're going to throw a map up on the, on the board for you to see. All right, Joshua chapter 19, verses 40 through 48. And the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children. And I'm going to butcher the names just so you know. I'm not going to be able to say these properly. <laughs> children of Dan according to their families. And the coast of the inheritance was Zorah and Eshtual and Urshemesh and... Shalabin, and Ajalon, and Jephla, and Elon, and Timnathah, and Ekron, and Eltekeh, we'll just, Gibbethon, and Balath, and Jehud, and Benabarak, and Gath Rimon, and Mijarkon, and Rakon, and the border before Jaffa. Verse 47 says, And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. 
before the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. Okay, so we hear um, their parameters and we also hear a little bit of the issue, the fact that they're, they're looking for more. What we'll see as we examine the story of the Danites is the pathway to idolatry is going to be an incremental one. We're going to follow the steps that will take them into a place where they will be fully sold into the idolatrous mindset. We're going to go through four steps. Today we'll only cover two. We're going to see, first of all, a gracious opportunity given to them. Then we'll see a temptation presented. Next week we're going to touch on a lustful desire fulfilled. And then lastly, we'll see an identity lost. As a reminder, if we know who Dan is, we go back to Dan and we recognize we're going to throw up the family tree up there on, uh, on the wall or on the, on the screen there. So Naphtali, right? Uh, Naphtali is who we studied last week. And Naphtali is here. This is his sixth born. Dan was the fifth born. This is the, say he's the first born of Rachel's servant, Bilhah. And what we'll find is as we uh, read about, uh, about Dan is we want to understand who his identity was, what was his personality type. And what we'll do is we always go back to Jacob. Jacob's prophecy in Genesis 49, what he's doing is he's speaking to the men that these, uh, speaking to the men that his sons have become. Genesis chapter 49, verses 16 and 17. This is what Jacob says of Dan. It says, Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Verse, verse 17 says, Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path that biteth the horse heels so that his riders shall fall backwards. We're going to get really into verse 17 next week, but this week we're going to focus our attention on verse 16. We see, first of all, it says that he shall be a judge, that he shall judge his people. Now, a judge is one who delivers justice, okay? This is a person who is a, a position of privilege and honor. And this brings us to our first point, which is the tribe of Dan experiences a gracious opportunity given. Okay, now what's important to remember when an opportunity has been offered to someone, there are one of two responses, okay, to an opportunity. Either it is thankfully seized and the opportunity is, is taken full advantage of it to make the most of it, or it's wasted. Opportunities get wasted because guess what? They're not appreciated. It's kind of like this. If you got an opportunity at a job, let's say it was a, a brand new startup company, and you're like, man. Now, all depend upon your attitude. You could see this and go, this is an amazing opportunity. I've been gifted with this chance, and you know what? I'm going to work my tail off. I'm going to be dedicated. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to be the best employee of this entire company. I'm going to set myself apart because this is an opportunity of a lifetime. But then you have another person who goes, just a job, right? And they do the very minimal amount that they need to. They show up when they have to. They don't do anything extra. They just simply do what's expected, and that's all. So one has a grateful attitude. The other one has an unthankful attitude. So when opportunities are offered to us, we can have one of two responses. As we can see from Jacob's prophecy in the future of Dan, they're going to be in a position where they're going to be allowed to judge. They're going to be put in a place to bring uh, on behalf of their people, to be leaders amongst their people. More specifically, we see that they are, uh, in, the, in, the, in the second part of our message, we're going to more specifically dig into what it meant for them to be a judge. We're actually going to look at one specific judge, which is Samson, who happens to come from the tribe of Dan. Um, again, what we're going to do, but today I want us to pay attention to their inheritance, okay? First of all, looking at, which is what we're talking about, the physical land, is looking at what they're entrusted with or what they've been blessed with. And as we dig into this, what we start to see is the fact that they were discontented. They were not happy with what they received. Remember what verse 47 said? And the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them. Too little for them. 
Therefore, the children of Dan went up to first to fight against Leshem. You're going to see Leshem also listed in the Bible as a place called Laish. They're the same location. And took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. So here we see it recorded that the Danites were discontented with what it was they received. They were not happy with their inheritance. So they took it upon themselves to expand their inheritance. Okay, they're going to go outside of what God intended for them in order to get what it was that they wanted. Now, the only problem is that the territory that they will choose for themselves, interestingly enough, is going to be on the other side of the Jordan River. Now, as we look at this, this plus Leshem or Laish is in the northern, pl- northern part of Bashad. I don't have it listed, but can you pop up the map one more time? I don't know if that's easy. I have no idea how the technology works. Okay. Um, so, so here's Dan down here, right? This portion of land here. And actually where this place they're going to be, Leshem is, this map shows this as part of, uh, I shouldn't leave my fingers on the screen. Sorry about that. Um, East Manasseh. But in reality, it actually probably ends more around here. Dan is right up there. Leshem is right at the top of that screen. This is a place called Bashan, which is a territory that used to be run by the pagans that was taken over by, um, by the Israelites. So here, that was on the other side of the Jordan. Now remember, in God's perspective, there's this side of the Jordan, right? This is God's will. When they're inside of Canaan, this was the will of God. This was the promised land. Anything outside of the Jordan River on that side is outside of God's will. It would be considered the wilderness. And the place where they choose to expand themselves into is on the other side of the Jordan. So meaning that the Danites have chosen to establish themselves outside of God's will for them. Now, what was it that drove them out of where they were? What made them dissatisfied? I'm glad you asked me. Because... <laughs> it is not, when we think about the tribe of Dan, what's interesting is when we think about, let's look back at our map real quick. If we're interestingly enough, they were amongst the largest of the tribes. The only tribe that's larger than the tribe of Dan is the tribe of Judah. And we don't have it here, but Judah is massive, gigantic. And so what we find is, Miss Emma, are you okay? You guys take a look, check, check on her real quick, okay? Uh, Leshem, uh, which is actually called also Laish, which is a northern Bashan, okay? Um, again, what this is telling us, again, obviously in reference to this, is the fact that they are not um, choosing what is God's will for them, okay? They were dissatisfied. And the fact is that they were a very large tribe. And if we look at the map, we realize it is a pretty small area of land that they actually receive, okay? Um, now, if you calculate and figure out kind of the amount of space that they have, like I said, now Judah was calculated to have is in the largest population, the 70-some thousand, but Dan is calculated has in 64,400. So that's the second largest tribe, but they're actually given a pretty small piece of land. And we look at that and they go, well, that's why they're dissatisfied. It's obvious, but let's just qualify it out. That area that they received is about 140 square miles, okay? 140 square miles of 64,400 people. To give you a frame of reference, Indian Trail has 44,000 people, only 20,000 people less. And Indian Trail is 22 square miles, okay? So there's plenty of land for the Danites in this location. The issue is not with the land, it's with the previous inhabitants of the land. And, we were, and this is revealed to us through Judges chapter 1, verse 34 through 36. And it says here, And the Amorites, okay, the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountain, for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley. So they're getting manhandled by the previous inhabitants 
pushing them around, God's people getting owned by their enemies, being intimidated and controlled by people that God had promised them that they would defeat. God had said, if you'll just simply trust me and you'll follow me, I will drive them out. He said, no man shall be able to stand before me. And yet, these Amorites drive them all over the place. Every which way but loose, they're pushing them, pushing them, pushing them. And so what happens is, opposed to trusting God in the moment when they're putting this challenge and seizing the opportunity, they in fact fail and fall prey to their fears. And so they were called to conquer the land and to trust God to bring the victory, but no, they literally crumble. And what will happen is, they will ultimately actually happen, um, because of their lack of faith, they will call out to help from their neighbors. Okay? So we know that Ephraim is right next door, and Manasseh, these are called the sons of Joseph, which they are. But it says that they're going to call out for help, and then they're eventually going to make a deal with the Amorites. Verse 35 and 36 says, But the Amorites would dwell in Mount Harris and Agilon and Shalbim, yet the hand of the house of Joseph prevailed so that they became tributaries. So Joseph comes in, gets everything under control, gets the people to become slaves, but then notice this, and the coast of the Amorites was from the going up to Akrabim from the rock and upward. So when Joseph leaves, as opposed to manhandling them and doing what they were called to do, Dan says, look, I tell you what, why don't we just come up to an agreement? You guys get part of the land, and we get part of the land. They were all they were called to conquer, and yet their solution was concession. This is why when they, they go looking for more. And amazingly, when we go into, remember, there was two prophecies that are given. There's Jacob's prophecy, and then Moses gave a prophecy in Deuteronomy before they ever entered, they ever entered into Canaan. And what's interesting is when we look at the Danites, Moses is going to give us an insight into what they're eventually going to do. Notice what he says here in Deuteronomy 33:22. Now, they were called to be in the place that God gave them, that Moses, that, that Joshua gave them down there below. But it says here, in Deuteronomy 33:22, Moses said, And of Dan he said, Dan is a lion's whelp, a young lion. He shall, notice this, leap from Bashan. Bashan is outside of God's will. But he says here that they're going to leap from Bashan. And so we recognize this. We also see the fact that he's referenced as a lion's whelp. Bashan is the land east of the Jordan. Make note that the tribe of Dan is described so far. We've seen him described as a serpent by Jacob and as a lion by Moses, okay? And those are going to be really important factors for the second half of our message when we get to that. This is very, very, very key. But for now, let's continue looking at the Danites. Now, they did not take God at his word. They did not seize the opportunity to possess the land. No, what they in fact did was instead they had set their sights on finding satisfaction somewhere else, okay? They had been given what they'd been given. God had made provision for them, and he said he would drive out the inhabitants if they would simply trust him. But no, they would not do that. And so what happened was their lack of faith of God's promise and his ability to fulfill it, and all of that is rooted back into being unthankful, being ungrateful. They're given an opportunity that they could take advantage of, and they could do what God exactly what God said, and they would get what God had for them, but they didn't. And so what we saw was the fact that God's word, right, what does it say about being thankful? If we think about it, there should be a verse, if you, if you study the Bible at all, there's a first, first, first Thessalonians 5.18. There's a verse there that jumps out about thankfulness. It says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So he says, listen, if you want to know God's will for your life, in everything, give thanks. Right? But now the problem is, how many people are unthankful in the world today? My goodness gracious. Virtually everybody. Most of us probably in the room could raise our, room, raise our hands. Ingratitude is just a part of, unfortunately, being human nowadays. 
But what's interesting is we represent and we go through and we look at the, the biblical pictures that are represented. Remember, the tribe or, or, the, or the, the land of Canaan inside the promised land is a representation of being in God's will. And then on the other side of the Jordan is a representation of being out of God's will. So it is by no coincidence that they are sitting in Bashan when they eventually expand. It is a crystal clear picture of being outside of the will of God. And remember, biblically, when we go back to these Old Testament pictures, remember, the, the, the Bible's designed to work this way. There's a picture book and there's a principle book. The principle book is the New Testament. The picture book is the Old Testament. So when we go to an Old Testament picture or a principle or, or, or picture, what it's doing is it's reflecting something back for us to learn from it. It's not just a historical record of events. The Bible's teaching multiple things on multiple levels at all times. So what we see in this biblical picture of being in God's will, out of God's will, being discontented with what God has given and seeking more, where does it take them naturally? It's not by coincidence they are outside of God's will, that they're in the land of Bashan. It just simply makes sense. But as opposed to trusting God and seizing the opportunities, right, what happens to us? We find, we feel many times in our own lives, when we correlate this picture and we think about us, how many times in our own lives have we seen what God's provided for us, where we are at the moment, and we think, I need more. I am not satisfied. I need something else. And as opposed to seizing God's, God's, uh, God's trusting God's word and seizing the opportunities that are given to us and trusting in him in the moment, a lot of times what happens is we have a tendency to think, you know what? I want to be out of this. I want, I want to escape the situation that I'm in. A lot of times what will happen is people go, you know what, I'm going to focus on trying to find something maybe a little easier. My circumstances right now, they're difficult. This is a challenging time in my life, and my solution is I'm going to find an easier path. I'm going to find weaker enemies that I have to face. I'm going to find obstacles that are easier to overcome. Listen, running away is not the answer, right? Running away is not the answer. God will put us in adverse situations and circumstances, and he says that he will not put more upon us, that he won't make a way of escape, right? That's the key. It's not that God won't put much on us, because I can promise you, if you live this life for any period of time, there are going to be things that are going to be way hard for you to carry, too much for you to carry. You'll be in water over your head, and you go, man, I can't swim. And God says, hey, listen, remember the picture with Jesus and Peter? What, when he started to sink? When Peter said, save me, what did he do? He lifted him up out of the water, right? So there may be plenty of times in life when God's going to allow things to be over our head, but it's a matter of will we trust him in the midst or will we want to run away? This is the problem. The Danites, their whole thing is they're not willing to do what is called, what they're called to do. They're looking for an easy way out. And again, this is never anything that draws you away from God's will and outside of God's will. It is not. It is not good for you. It's not what God intends for you. And see, what many times happens is God has us right where we are for a reason. And it may not be for us. It may be for the person who's also there. Right? There's an adverse situation that you're dealing with where somebody's mistreating you. And you know what? God wants you in that moment, instead of getting angry at them and wishing evil upon them, what if God wanted you to display grace and love and forgiveness to break through to someone who is broken? Man, hurting people hurt people. Why do people lash out? Because they're broken inside. And what's going to reach them? Anger? Frustration? Wanting to retaliate? No. Love. Forgiveness. What was Jesus' solution to being mistreated? Grace. Yeah. 
love, Amen. forgiveness. It's what we're called to be, but many times we struggle with this. But recognize, it's important for us not to run away, certainly in regard to our relationships in our homes and in our families. But listen, in our own internal turmoils, there are things that are going on in our own hearts that we struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. And people try to run away by finding a distraction. I'm just going to find something to focus my attention on because I don't want to think about this. Or they may even fall into addiction. Can I tell you, an alcoholic who runs from their, to, wants to, to, to drown their sorrows in a bottle to find a distraction, ultimately wakes up to find those sorrows waiting on them at the foot of the bed. But only they're greater now. And so the idea of running away does not work. God's saying, you know what? So many times I'm putting you in this adverse situation because I've got something to teach you. I've got something for you. Just trust me in the midst. See, the Danites were in a situation, if they'd have trusted God, they would have devastated their enemies and they would have taken exactly what God had for them. But because of their compromise, they found themselves in a situation where they were ready to run away. And this, unfortunately, is a, is a path that so many people want to take. Running does not fix our situation. All it does is delay the ultimate impact that it's going to have in our lives. Our sorrows are truly can only be healed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a true and sincere relationship with God where we're honest and we're transparent and we just let the Lord in. We say, Lord, you know what? You know me. I'm broken, man. I'm a mess. I don't want anybody else in the world to see, but you know what? I'm just going to say, God, I need you. And it's in that broken condition. What does he do? He ministers to us. Amen. He heals us. He lifts us up. Yes. He, he heals our broken places. He wraps us in his arms and he restores us. Amen. It's a beautiful thing. 1 Peter 5, 6, verses 6 and 7 says this. Humble yourselves before the, under the, therefore under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourself. Come to God in a humble spirit that he may exalt you in due time. So sometimes when you're in the midst of that issue and you go, how much longer do I have to stay in this situation? How much longer do I have to be here? And he says, in due time, let God do the work he's going to do. Don't complain. Don't be, don't be angry. Don't be upset to say, Lord, you know what? Let me see and understand this situation based upon you, not based upon me. Help me walk by faith and not by sight because my emotions are overwhelming me, but my faith can overcome my emotions because God knows where I am. Then he says, verse 7, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. See, this is God's heart towards you and towards me. And it's also God's heart towards the Danites, right? He wants them to be restored. He wants to have fellowship with them. And that was the whole purpose of the promised land was to get them in that place where he could fellowship with them. That's why he placed his tabernacle there. That's what he wanted to have, that love relationship. <clears throat> He gave them an opportunity to, by faith, trust Him and follow Him and do His will. Now, that's not what they did. We know the decision that they made. Ultimately, it was to make concessions to their enemies and then search for a way to escape. And can I tell you, concessions to wickedness, concessions to things that are outside of God's will, they will always have a long-lasting negative impact on your life. The principle of sowing and reaping, which is designed for us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 7, 8, and 9, it's always true. If we will sow into the Spirit, God says we'll reap life everlasting, but sow to the flesh. Reap corruption, right? And so we see this principles, this destructive impact of running away and not dealing with or doing things in God's, God's will. And it makes us circle back. What is God's will? Remember 1 Thessalonians 
in everything, no matter where you are, no matter what you're going through, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Be thankful, even for those things that you do not like. The Danites were unthankful, and it drew them away from God's will. And this is the ongoing struggle of humanity. This is the daily thing that we all wrestle with. Discontentment or gratitude, right? Will I be thankful for my situation or will I be angry because of the situation that I'm in? You see, what it all comes down to is like we think we deserve to go through life without any issues or struggles. But yet any of us, if we ask, would you like to have great faith? I think everybody would say, yeah, I would love to have great faith. But can I tell you, faith does not come from being blessed. It doesn't. Faith comes from God showing up when you're in the midst of a struggle. Right? We use that example all the time. We talk about the valleys and the hills. Right? On the top of the mountain is the craggy, dry land. Nothing grows. But in the valley, oh my goodness, that's where you're going to plant your crops. That's where all the rich soil is. And so what happens? God brings us to a valley to build our faith, and we're like, why me, God? Can't I be on the mountaintop? And he's like, if all you did was live mountaintop, mountaintop experiences, you'd never have any need for me. But it's in these valleys when you cry out, guess what? I'll come right there. In fact, in the valley of the shadow of death. Amen. Praise the Lord. So the Danites are unthankful, and it drew them away from God. It's that discontentment, that struggle, right? Remember that the Danites were called to be judges. They were called to be leaders. They were to guide people towards what was right and what was just. That was the role that God gave them to play. But because of their willingness to compromise, it would set them on a, set, them on a, or set the stage for the second step on their pathway to idolatry, which is this, a temptation presented. Now, it's important to note that temptations have exponentially greater impact on us when we are discontented, okay? When we're dissatisfied, temptation has great power. It's kind of like when you go to the grocery store, which you haven't eaten all day. <laughs> you're like, man, I'm, you're just ravenous. And you walk by, and there's like one of those tuxedo cakes, and you're like, nah, we just need at least one of those. <laughs> Maybe two, Right? And they got that prepared food that's really expensive, and you can smell it, and you're like, oh, man, yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I'll take two of those for sure. <laughs> right? That's not the time to go to the store. The temptation's going to have a lot greater impact on you because you're not contented. If you went there and you're like, man, I've already eaten. I'm good. It's a lot, totally different story. But can I tell you, when the Danites are going out, they are hungry. Right? They're discontented. They're walking away from where they're at. These are going to be five men that are sent out to find the new land. And they go, man, oh man, we're looking for what's our new deal. What's going to be our expansion of our land? Now remember, the reason why they're dissatisfied is of their own making. They made a choice that caused them to be dissatisfied. Judges 18 is going to show us how it manifests itself. Judges 18 verse 1 says this, In those days there was no king in Israel. Now, to give you a qualifier... In, in uh, Judges 17, 6, it says this, to give us a little qualifier on that time when it says in those days. It says, in those days, there was no king in Israel, but every man did what was right in his own eyes. Okay? So, these people during this time, these Danites, are not standing accountable to God. They're standing accountable to themselves. They did what was right in their own eyes. Right? So, I can do what I want to, and there's no accountability. So, verse, verse 18 continues. 
And in those days the tribe of Dan of the Danites sought them an inheritance to dwell in. For unto that day all their inheritance had not fallen unto them among the tribes of Israel. So it's telling us that guess what? They've not gained the land. This is, the, this is describing the predicament that we just discussed, the fact that they had not taken or conquered the land. Remember that this is of their own making. They are the ones that set the stage for this to take place. God would have delivered them and given them that land fully if they would have only trusted the Lord. But because of their lack of faith, they are now on the hunt for new ground. Judges 18.2 says this, And the children of Dan sent of their family five men, from their coasts, men of valor from Zorah and from Eshtuel, to spy out the land and to search it. And they said unto them, Go search the land, who, when they came to Mount Ephraim, to the house of Micah, they lodged there. To give you a little idea on Micah, I, read you, I suggest you read Judges 17. It'll tell you Micah's story. Micah was a man who was uh, living in Ephraim, and he was a paganist. He was a, an idolater. He actually made his own graven image. He created his own statue that he was worshiping, but he wasn't really a priest. And what happened was a young man came by who was from Judah, who was a Levite. Now, remember, at this time, all men are doing what was right in their own eyes. So the, even the Levite, who was a priest, he's not following God. And so Micah says, dude, I built this sweet statue, and I need somebody to be the minister of this thing. I need a priest that can actually help to rule my household, and you can be kind of like a guide to our family. What do you say? I'll give you 10 shekels, and I'll give you a shirt, really sweet new clothing, and all you got to do, and I'll give you a place to live. You be my priest. And that Levite was like, dude, I'm in. I don't have anything else going on. I'm all about it. So give me the shirt, give me the clothes, give me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So now what happened? So Micah, that happened in Judges 17. So all that's in place. So Micah's got his, his priest there. He's got the, the, the different uh, accoutrements that he's got, and he's got the statue. So it says verse 3. So this is where the Danites, remember. So Micah's there. He's got the Levite. He's got the false idols. He's got the idolatry taking place. And this is where they're spending the night. This is where they're camping. So verse 3 says, and when they were by the house of Micah, they knew the voice of the young man, the Levite, and they turned in thither and said unto him, Who brought thee hither? And what makest, what makest thou in this place? And what hast thou here? What are you doing here, uh, Levite? And he said unto them, Thus and thus dealeth Micah with me, and then the story I just told you, and hath hired me, and I am his priest. Now, here's where the temptation comes. Okay? So up to this time, we haven't seen an issue with the Danites struggling with idolatry, but now here's the chance. They're introduced to it, and here they go. Verse 5, And they said unto him, speaking to the priest, Ask counsel, we pray thee, of God, that we may know whether our way which we go shall be prosperous. Will you go to God for us? Go to your statue? Will you ask and see if we're on the right path? And the priest said unto them, Go in peace before the Lord is your way wherein you go. <laughs> Turns out God is in this, guys. Go for it! And they're like, All right, right on, let's go. And so the five Danites, what do they do? They head off onto Laish, onto Leshem. And when they get there, they see this amazing land. It's a wonderful piece of land. And the greatest thing is that the people there are basically just farmers. They're away from their, from their folks. They're basically easy targets. So when they look at the land, they're like, oh, man, this is awesome. Huh, that idol was right. That priest was absolutely right. Do you see this? This thing, man, this thing's all going to work out great for us. This is exactly what we were looking for. This land outside of God's will for us is exactly what we're looking for. And the priest and the God that he serves, well, they're on our side as well. And so they return back to their people 
And they tell them, hey, guess what? It all worked out great, and it's awesome. We met this amazing guy on the way up there, and he gave us some great advice. And, man, the guy he talks to, it's amazing. It's wonderful news. And so, sure enough, here they come. Remember, what are they called to do? They're called to be judges. They're called to be leaders, right? So now what happens? God's intention was that they would lead the Israelites in serving and honoring him. And yet, these five Danite spies have found another option. They found a, a God and godly counsel that will literally affirm their fleshly, lustful desires and tell them that they're godly. Well, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? Wow, that works out beautifully. How wonderful is this? Because remember the priest said, the priest said to them, go in peace before the Lord in your way wherein ye go. This is perfect. Because now they can follow their flesh and call it God's will. This is a picture of false religion. Can I tell you there are churches all over this nation where you can walk in right there, be in whatever mess you're involved in, and you know what they'll do? They'll tell you that God loves you. Keep doing what you're doing. Let's have a good time. Let's play some music. Let's enjoy ourselves. Let's slap each other on the back and head on back out the door. We're no, mean, no mention of conviction, no issue of changing our hearts, no issue of holiness. But you know what? Just go out of here. Be a good person, and life's good. And that's what happens so many times. People get affirmed in their bad behaviors instead of getting addressed in them. The Bible says it's for reproof, for rebuke, for instruction in righteousness. The Bible's supposed to redirect our behaviors. But we hear a gospel preached or a message preached all around this nation, which is all about just be a good person, be a good person, be a good person. Just keep doing what you're doing because God loves you. Right? Go watch Joe Olstein, man. You'll walk out of there feeling like you're a million bucks. I don't care what you're doing in your life. You'll never know that. But boy, oh boy, you're going to get a pat on the back and a big smile and a nudge and, hey, good job, buddy. But if you leave here, a lot of times, y'all, I'm not, I'm, I'm like, I don't want to beat you up, but I can just tell you that God's Word beats me up every week. And it should beat you up, too. You should walk out of here and be like, man, doggone, man. Whew. A little blood on my nose. Because sometimes it's tough because God confronts us on our, on our garbage because we all have stuff we're dealing with. And so what we find is the fact that here, this godless behavior, Micah's priest, was just what they were looking for. They wanted someone to come along and tell them that their desires, which they knew clearly were outside of God's will because they know what the Jordan River represented and they know where that place is and they know what's in Bashan, they could, in fact, tell themselves, even though it was clearly outside of God's will, you know what? Maybe this isn't God's will. The priest said it was. So, hey, maybe, maybe he's right. And this is how God's enemies masquerade themselves in religion. Right? We go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 13 through 15. It says this, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers. Notice that, deceitful. Deceitful workers transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. They look like Christians. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, hello, priests, shall also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose ends shall be according to their works. God will ultimately hold them accountable. But can I promise you, there's tremendous amount of destruction done through false biblical teaching. And what they'll do is they'll take, they'll deliver a biblical, they'll use biblical terminologies to deceive people, to teach a humanistic message of philosophy. 
where it's all about fulfilling the individual's desires instead of changing or sanctifying the life. Focusing on fulfilling people's earthly desires while disregarding God's call for us to be separated from the world. We could call it Christianity light, right? I'll take Jesus, just hold the conviction. (laughs) I don't need any of that. Instead of conforming us into God's image, as the Bible instructs us, Romans 8.29, it says that ultimately that's what God's doing, is conforming us into the image of His Son, right? It's all about shaping our faith to fit our lifestyle, fashioning a form of Christianity that doesn't set followers on the path to holiness, but in fact sets them on a never-ending quest to find happiness and earthly fulfillment, which is not found anywhere in the Scripture. The Bible says we're supposed to deny ourselves, and yet so many people want just to live in a life where it's all about fulfilling themselves. Why are people so obsessed with experiences nowadays? Because you know what? They don't know God. And if you don't know God, you know what you do? You just look for whatever you think might work. And if all the people on the internet look like they're happy, they all got smiles on their faces, and it's amazing how we buy into that. Can I promise you they're not all as happy as they look? (laughs) You ever had like a really junky day and still tend to picture and be like, ka-ching, hey, like that? And you post it and people are like, man, they're so happy. And you're like, I'm not really happy. I just want them to think I'm happy. (laughs) Right? There are families that I have counseled that are posting pictures of how wonderful their life is. And they're on the verge of destruction. And it's like, because people are more concerned with what people think. If they think I'm happy, then maybe I'll tell myself I'm happy. And it's not about experiences. It's about surrender. It's about a walk with God. It's about holiness. It's about sanctification. It's about learning who, his, who God truly is and having a relationship with Christ. That's what He desired for them. That was the whole thing. Why did He want to be Canaan? Because that's where the fellowship would take place. God wants fellowship with us. He wants a family, and that's the whole purpose. And we're so drawn to the things of the world, man, and it's so destructive. And then when adversity comes, when God's trying to get us closer, we tend to run away or concede to sin and find a way to justify it in our life. And you know, I'm tired of somebody telling me what's wrong. I'm going to go find some place. I'm going to go find a priest that's going to tell me, hey, guess what? What you're doing is just fine. Just keep on doing what you're doing. We'll pat you on the back as long as you pay your tithe. True fulfillment and lasting contentment is only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7 says this. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Key word, let your request be made known unto God. And here's verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And where do most of us struggle in our lives, in our hearts, and in our minds? That's where the battlefield is. And he tells us here. The peace of God which passeth all understanding. No human being can understand it if they don't have Christ. They can't see it. Shall keep your hearts and minds. And it's through Christ Jesus. It's through that relationship with Him. By condoning fleshly desires and earthly fulfillment and labeling them as Christian liberty, these false teachers of today are just like Micah's priest. Functioning as men and women of God who will listen are not true followers of Christ, that are not following the Bible, but are in fact selling people a lie. And as we look through the Danite story, you know what we see? We notice the fact that, listen, it, was the, the, it would be the influence of that priest. This moment that is going to be ultimately their legacy, it will be the, 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 the road to their destruction. And it is not going to be a little thing. It's going to be a massive, massive 
destruction. The ripples of this choice and this decision will be absolutely (laughs) devastating to millions and millions of people. God wanted them just to be committed to Him. I'll provide for you. Listen, I'll, I'll give you all that you need. All it will require of you is that you'll just faithfully do what I've called you to do. Just trust me. Don't allow what you see to overwhelm you. Trust me in spite of what you see. And just trust and do what I call you to. And see, but that plan that God was calling them to would require them to be selfless. Right? It would require them to be, uh, to be faithful. It would require them to have the willingness to face off against things that were hard. Things that were difficult. Challenging moments. And the Danites didn't have it in them. Their solution was, we'll concede and we'll run. We'll find a way out. They sought the path of least resistance. Has anybody ever been there before? Man, (laughs) you're just like, look, I just want to buy a plane ticket and I don't care where I go. Somewhere far away where nobody knows me. I'm ready to start over. I want to just get out of this joint. That's all I know. And that's our nature, right? The Danites, we want to judge them. But hey, listen, we've all been in their shoes. We've all made idolatrous choices. We've all chosen to put things above God. There's no doubt about that. But what we see here is the fact that even though this, this path of least resistance was given to them, and though they, they, they fully bought into it, what we'll find is that ultimately that will be the thing that is going to be the, 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 the gateway to their, to their end, the gateway to their demise. And unfortunately, it is all rooted in discontentment, a desire for more, seeking happiness instead of holiness. And what we find is the fact that, listen, it was while on this path of desiring more that the temptation to idolatry presented itself. Now, I would love to tell you that long term, they're going to turn it around and get off this path, but they are absolutely not going to. Next week, we are going to see the legacy of destruction, and it will span not hundreds of years, not thousands of years, but it actually goes into the future that we have not even seen yet. The Danites And the choices that they make, devastation. And it will cause this world to suffer. And we'll see why next week. And so it's no coincidence the first three commandments that the Lord gives are all based upon idolatry. They're all warnings about idolatry because God knows how dangerous it is to us. How how easily we fall into it. Right? We see celebrities. Oh, I just want to, I just want to touch him. I just want to see. I can take a picture with him, please. Oh, I just want to. It's a person. It was a guy next door to you in the in the grocery line, and his name was Bill. And you were like, oh, I just want to touch you, Bill. And he'd be like, whoa, what the what the, what's going on, Bill? Back off. But there are these people that suddenly they become something special. We want to touch them, have a lock of their hair, touch their clothing. Well, who cares? They're people. But by nature, we are idolatrous. We idolize our phones. We idolize people. We idolize things, material possessions. And what happens is where God's supposed to be number one, we find this thing is competing, right? And man, if I suddenly, I've got my eyes set on a new car, and suddenly, guess what? It's the background of my phone. And now when I've got free time, when I could be in the Word of God, or we could be trying to minister to somebody, you know what I'm doing? I'm searching the stats. I'm looking at the, 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 the what do you call it, the reports, whatever it's like, uh, consumer reports, 
the, the safety test ratings, da, da 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 I've got spreadsheets and all this information. I've done all this research on this stupid car that, you know what, in a few years, I'm going to want a new one. But what about my Bible study? What about the Word of God? What about my walk with Christ? What about my ministry to the community around me? Is that what I'm obsessed with? God knows it's a danger to us. And we have to recognize it as well. Whether it be our families, whether it be our careers, whether it be our dreams of the future, whether it be our marriages, whether it be our religion, nothing, nothing is to take preeminence over the Lord. He's supposed to be number one in every aspect of our life. But what happens when you and I reach a place in our life when, listen, what God's provided is not enough, and our discontented hearts start to seek those things more outside of God's will? You know where we're headed? Pathway to idolatry, right? There's discontentedness, and there's, and there's gratitude, contentment. And see, there's, the road has a divide in it, right? Contentment, discontentment. Which path will you choose? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for this time to spend in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for the lessons you've taught us. And, uh, Lord, for taking care of Miss Anna. Emma, Lord, you would just pray for her right now. God, that you would just have your hand upon her. Thank you for her sweet testimony of loving you for so many years. And I just pray, God, for you to guide her healing process. And, Lord, for those of us here, Lord, maybe we're struggling with something in our hearts. Maybe we've got some idolatry, some issues. Maybe that we're dealing with things where the orientation is in the wrong place. There's nothing wrong with working hard and having a nice home and having a great family and all those things, Lord. But you tell us to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Lord, thank you for the gift. And Lord, I do pray, Father, for those right now that are here and maybe they say, I'm... I'm struggling right now in my relationship with God. Not that I don't love him, but I've just got him not where he needs to be. Would you pray for me, Pastor? If you're here today and you say, listen, I've got some issues I'm struggling with. I've got, a, I've got some, some idolatry maybe playing in my life, and I'm, I'm struggling with it. Pray for me. Lift your hand and say, listen, just pray for me. Pray for me. Amen. 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 For those here that maybe say, I don't know where I even stand with the Lord. Can I promise you that God loves you right where you are in your broken condition? He loves you more than you can possibly imagine, and He's calling out to your heart even now. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a simple surrender to a loving God. He loves you so much that He died with you in mind. There's an opportunity for you to receive Christ by faith and faith alone. It's not works related. It's not religion. There's no magic prayer. There's no ceremony. It's just a broken heart calling out to a loving God. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here today and you do not know for certain that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that he is your savior, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray. Again, there's no magic in the prayer. God's listening to your heart. So if you're listening to this recorded, you're watching us online, it's nothing more than surrendering to that loving call. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask you to repeat after me in your heart and mind, speaking to God. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, 
I know that I'm a sinner. And I'm so sorry for my sin. I now understand that you love me in spite of myself and that you died for my sins. Lord, right now I'm asking you in the best way I know how to come into my heart to save my soul and give me a home in heaven. God, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Heads